Welcome to the Firearms Trainers Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Rob Beckman. Today, we'll be talking about how you as an instructor can improve. We bring this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Head on over to their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by Barrel Block. It's everyone's responsibility to safe with a firearm, which is why in every class I teach, we stress safety to the students by ensuring every gun is picked up is clear. But recently, I got my hands a hold of a barrel block, and now I use it in my classes all the time. It is a caliber-specific device that can be installed without disassembling the firearm and physically prevents the firearm from firing and is visible to anyone around that the gun is safe. If safety is your number one concern during your classes, then you need a barrel block in your range bag and for your classroom presentations. Today, we are joined by instructor and author Mike Seeklander. Thanks, Mike, for coming along on the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. How are things going for you? Good. We uh, we actually have one of our first spring-like days outside, so the, the trees are starting to finally bloom, and I literally just got off the range. It was one of the first nice and warm and sunny days. I'm sure I'm probably going to regret saying that because it'll be hot soon, but things are good now. <laughs> yeah, it seems like in the last year, it's either been really cold or really hot. And exactly. not a, well, and it's been a, really wet, too. I know around here in Ohio, it seems like it's been wet quite a bit. Well, hey, Mike, some of our listeners may not know your background and why you're such a great uh, person to have on the podcast talk about. Can you give us, our listeners, some of your background? Yeah, I, I certainly will. You know, I will, uh, I'll try to do the short story version because I think we talked about this in the past, maybe the pre-show on when I get my bio or my background, I'm always like, man, it sounds like I've literally not been able to hold down a job, but it's just, <laughs> I promise I've just moved on to sometimes bigger and better things, sometimes pastures that look greener that turned out to be a great lesson learned. But um, so uh, I uh, joined the Marine Corps in 1990, which kind of started my mainstream uh, career. So I was in the Marine Corps from 1990 till about 94 uh, on active contract. Then I went actually back to the reserves and did some ADSW, some active duty special work. Um, after the Marine Corps, I left and got into law enforcement in Knoxville, Tennessee with the County Sheriff's Office and then um, the city police department. And then later on, um, and I should say probably during my Marine Corps career and during that time, I was shooting pretty avidly, started competing in USPSA and IDPA, got serious into competition. And then um, as I was doing that, uh, 9-11 happened. So I, I had the opportunity because of some of the people I knew and some of the shooting I had done to, to move up to Atlantic City, New Jersey and become one of the first civilian instructors they hired after 9-11. So I ran a cadre of uh, instructors up there as their lead fire instructor that eventually I became what was called the branch chief. They had different terms back then. And then uh, moved from there to uh, the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in South Carolina, Charleston. And then eventually to a private entity in Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, called the U.S. Shooting Academy. Pretty much the entire time competing, teaching, um, getting my feet wet as an instructor, learning how to teach, and uh, shooting, fighting, doing all kinds of cool stuff like that, which leads me to my current occupation, which is my company, Shooting Dash Performance and the American Warrior Society, where I travel and teach and, and do a little TV stuff, have a few books uh, we mentioned, and mm -hmm. 
I told you it sounds like I can't hold down a job, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, no one single job, but I think you bounce around similar to a lot of instructors do as far as to make a you know living in this industry. You've got to have your your hands in a lot of different avenues because we can't just like we're saying, the weather doesn't allow you to train every day. So you've got to, you know, pick up work in other areas, but then at the same time, it can be complimentary. And that's okay. where, you know, the book that you have uh, on instructors, The Art of Instruction, uh, great book. And I think, it, you know, it's a combination of everything you talked about. It wasn't just, you know, the Marine Corps uh, way of teaching. It wasn't just the way you, you learned when you were down in Knoxville. It's not even the same way where at Fletzy. You took bits and pieces from there, gave people credit for what you, they taught you and it's a great resource for those instructors uh, you know who yeah, want to want to improve in, in that book uh, that was uh, actually one of the the things and I'm glad you pointed that out that was really important was I I tried to give credit or thanks to all of the people that have influenced me as an instructor now well not just a, as an instructor but also as a you know as a leader and as someone you know operating to an extent doing the doing the job whether it's law enforcement or the military or you know, as an operational federal air marshal, and I had a lot of individuals that were just great mentors. They're just, just, I was just very, very fortunate to be surrounded by really, really great people. And I have a personality that allows me to, you know, constantly seek knowledge and want to suck information up. So that's what I did. I just learned from them. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. What I tell people all the time, leaders know how to go along and inspire other people to be around. I mean, there's a lot of smart people in the world. But the ones that we want to be around most of the time are leaders because they inspire us to do more. I agree, man. And I would add to that, a good leader is a good listener. And that's one of the things I learned along the way. And the, the, the best leaders I had were ones that would literally close their mouth and listen to you as well and learn from you, and, um, which is rare, I think, in some leadership spots. So. It's not always demonstrated. Let's put it that way. Right. I've, I've seen many, many cases where it hasn't demonstrated, which kind of leads, leads us into my first question. What are some of the common mistakes that you've seen instructors make that obviously we shouldn't be making? If I were to critique um, most instructors, well, let me let me start off here with uh, what I call the baseline, and then I'll talk about some instructor mistakes. The baseline for instructing has to be a body of knowledge. I think, and some instructors don't make that mistake. Some some instructors have a body of knowledge. But I think every instructor should have a body of knowledge and a level of skill that represents the students uh, that they're trying to teach. Now, you don't always have to have the most knowledge or the most skill. As a matter of fact, you almost never will. But I, I think as instructors, we need to own the fact that our knowledge and skill should be significantly deeper and better than that of our students. And I think some instructors get lazy there and say, well, I'm here to teach. Uh, I don't always have to be better, and they use that as their excuse not to to, to make uh, an effort to work, to put the work in, in effort. So that's what I would call a base. That's the foundation of a good instructor. The mistakes I see instructors make, probably the one that we correct the most uh, in my course, my instructor course, is a lot of instructors don't realize there's a true structure to instructing. There's a way to introduce material. There's a way to teach a block of instruction. There's a very deliberate way you should probably be handling questions. Um, there's a structure to your demonstration. So there's an actual structure uh, that if most instructors learn that structure, they'd be much better relaying the information they do have. So that's probably the biggest mistake I see instructors make out there. Well, I think the one thing that 
people have to understand when you talk about structure. This is not something that Rob Beckman says or Mike Seeklander says, but this has been proven time and time again through the adult learning model. And once you understand that, then you realize why some things that you or I might be told, if they're not structured right for our brains to absorb them, it, I mean, it's like putting water on block top. It just rolls right off of it. But if you exactly. go along and you prep things properly, it soaks in so much better. And we see that in school teachers and university professors or even in the workplace. If somebody's somebody willing to do just a little bit of working that ground so it's able to absorb all that knowledge, then it's a lot better. And that goes, you know, I don't care whether you're teaching mathematics or you're teaching firearms. You've got, you've got to go along and be able to open up those minds so they're receptive to the ideas you're talking about. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's not what you teach. Oftentimes, it's how you teach. And I'm not saying what you teach is not important, but how you teach it is critically important. Mm -hmm. Been in those classes to where somebody's teaching straight out of the book. That information is is correct. It's you know what you need to learn. But at the same time, we've also been in those classes where somebody can take that same information and all of a sudden put some dynamic spin to it. And all of a sudden, it makes so much more connection to the students. And that's where, as fire instructors, we're dealing with a serious topic. Um, sometimes we've got to be very serious about it, but other times we've got to go along and be able to connect those dots in people's minds so they can get more out of it. They understand why we're telling them to press this trigger instead of jerking it, why to go along and grip, grip it certain ways, why to keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to fire. I mean, all these basic things that I know... I've had challenged with trying to go along and get it through to people. And one of those uh, topics to where the better I do in giving people reason, you know, why do we keep our finger off the trigger? Well, here's a whole bunch of different accidental discharges that people have had. And all of a sudden lights go off. It's like, yeah, it doesn't matter who you are. Those kind of uh, accidental and negligent discharges can happen to each and every one of us. Absolutely, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a matter of understanding that, just having knowledge as an instructor is not enough. You have to have the knowledge and the skill, but you need to know how to relay that information. Like you said, a dull learning model. This is not anything we came up with. This is not new science. This is, the, the, you know, the, the, this, these models are, have been out there for a long, long time. And if people learn them and follow them, their instructing skill, you know, as instructors, they're going to be so much better off at just, uh, you know, relaying that information. Yeah. And the adult learning model, it doesn't matter whether you got somebody who's 80 years old or you know, 24 years old, you know, millennials, they all learn the same. It's trying to go along and find those connection points of you know, connecting with them in order for the information to, to be, be absorbed by them. Sure. The student. Completely agree. That's really interesting on those uh, mistakes and such. Um, and we talked about, you know, how people learn. And I think one of the things where, you know, one, one additional thing I'd like to add to when people learn, and you, we know we've got people that learn by visually, they learn auditory, they learn, you know, by tactically, by, you know, senses that they might uh, touch. And those are important skills when it comes to firearms, because obviously it, if you can't identify their learning model that that student works under, you're going to have a hard time going along connecting with them. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, especially, you know, people that are afraid of firearms first time, you've got, you've got to start them out slow. And that's where a blue gun, you know, something that's just, we all know it. it's a 
hard piece of plastic versus going along, putting the say a regular firearm in there and then walking them up to it or going along and being able to show them a uh, graphic on a, on a screen or on a, on a poster in the classroom. All those things help to go along and really build upon your teaching style. What's your thoughts when it comes to what do students expect out of their instructor? Well, I think that, um, I think to answer that question, honestly, some students don't know what to expect out of an instructor, especially if they're new. They, oftentimes that creates a lot of the anxiety and nervousness from a new student is they, they've never done the class before. Now, if you have a student, for example, that is the, the avid trainer, they're, they're, the, the, they're, the, they're the person that is constantly taking classes and they're looking for the next greatest instructor, and that's kind of their thing. They, they, you know, they expect certain things, but the average new student doesn't really know what to expect. So I think they said they think in their mind, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to remember the kind of instructor I had or teacher I had in high school or maybe in college. And I would guess they would probably expect or hope that their instructor would be someone like their favorite teacher, someone that was well-spoken, someone that communicated to them on, you know, a personal level, someone that probably uh, possessed a great body of knowledge, you know, someone that held them accountable. Um, so that's, I hope, what they would expect if they had any idea. But like I said, I think a lot of new students don't know what to expect, especially in a firearms class. You know, we're talking about a class where we're teaching with tools that are in- inherently dangerous. So it's a little bit different environment, um, mm-hmm. you know, and also uh, if the person has not been in the military or law enforcement, there's an element of control and leadership that an instructor may be showing them on the range, which they're unfamiliar with. You know, they haven't really been and it. It's not bossy, but they haven't really been to an extent controlled like someone that is a good firearms or tactics instructor should control his students because ultimately with a lack of control becomes, you know, a safety issue. Definitely. And that's got to be our number one priority when it comes to, you know, live fire ranges or, you know, teaching firearms as a whole, because that's one thing you cannot put back in the barrel if, uh, you know, somebody squeezes off around when they shouldn't. That's right. No, no way at all. Question for you. You started uh, talking a little bit about, you know, good instructors learn and they constantly learn. Um, you know, they take classes, they read books, uh, videos, audio books, different things like that. you have any suggestions for, for our listeners? Man, in terms of learning at the instructor level stuff, well, you know. I mean, we've got your book. You've, you've got a few, a few other books out there. Any other ones that you really like? Um, I'll tell you, there's, I, I have, you can't, well, obviously, if you're a listener right now, you can't see it on, on video. I have three different bookshelves around me, and I probably own every single firearm book out there. So, uh, you know, two things I would, I would, whatever subject you're teaching, if you don't own every bit of material that is on the market, like go to Amazon and search handgun shooting or hand gunfighting or combat handgun. If you don't own every book out there, then you're really not truly interested in diving deep into that body of knowledge. So that's the first thing I would tell people. And I could give you a, a dozen different titles. I'd have to turn around and look at my book, bookshelf. I mean, there's some good books out there. And there's some not so good books out there, but the point is if you're researching and reading and, and, and diving deep, you're going to learn the difference between uh, the other. The second is, you know, how do we truly learn how to 
instruct properly beyond just structure, beyond the things they'll get in my book, the art of instruction. You know, how do you, how do we communicate better? How do we uh, better connect to our students uh, in in all of the different modes of communication? The way adults communicate and actually connect. How do we connect to them better? How how do we become a better salesman? And I know a lot of people listening are like, I don't want to be in sales. I don't want to be a pushy salesman. No, as an instructor, you are always selling your background, your bio, yourself. You're always selling your material. And uh, if you're not, then you're missing something there. Now, ultimately, you want them to buy what you're selling because you truly believe in your heart. It's the best information you can give them. But let's not, you know, let's not uh, let's not play around here. We're absolutely selling ourselves and our information. So our student hopefully takes a bite of that. And realizes, okay, I believe what this person says. Uh, they gave me the whys behind it. I believe in the whys, and I want to do it. So, you know, there's some great sales books out there. There's some great books on, you know, communication. Uh, you know, get think outside of the box if you want to be a good, good instructor. Read everything you can get your hand on, and surround yourself with good instructors. Watch, watch how they teach. You know, just go find a good instructor just to watch how they communicate. Watch how they mold human beings. Mm-hmm. Well, it's whole purpose behind this podcast is there's plenty of podcasts out there to talk about firearm shooting, you know, day in and day out. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, when you're an instructor, it's more than just shooting. It's more than just being able to go along speaking. It's marketing. It's being able to go along and present yourself. It's how do you find new, new, uh, customers, more, uh, more students. How do you go along and retain those customers for additional classes? All those things are topics that we're uh, actively pursuing on this uh, channel to go along, give people that additional information that they need to be not just good instructors, but great instructors. Absolutely. I totally agree. Uh, There's a lot of things that go into that too. Mm-hmm. Most, most definitely. Most definitely. Here's another question for you, because I know, you know in our industry, it's one of those uh, hot topics between different people. What's your thought on competition when it comes to uh, skill building, when it comes to reinforcing what we learn in the classrooms uh, you know, and on the range during classes? You know, when you say competition, I would, I would ask, obviously, to be a little more specific, but I think I understand what you're asking. In terms of competition, should we compete in class or should we actually go out and compete on the competition? circuit will Mm -hmm. shooting a pistol match make us a better shooter will it test our skills in some way shape or form and i believe in both i believe that healthy friendly competition in and during classes is absolutely critical to your success now there's some classes where i have more you know competitions and more like shoot offs where students are shooting off and there's some classes where i don't do as much because the structure of the class is different um you know, but, and that depends on the actual material itself. Now, in terms of competing, I mean, that I, I am a avid competitor, been doing it at the professional level for, you know, 10, 15 years now. Um, so I compete on a regular basis. I think it's one of the single best drivers of skill you could possibly find. Um, and I honestly feel that every instructor should expose themselves at least a little bit to competing so they understand it, so they understand um, if their students should do it, you know, that they're going to be a better shooter themselves. They're going to be better able to handle pressure. Uh, I think it's a win-win all the way around, assuming we approach it with the right mindset. Mm-hmm. I think when you go along and we can practice all we want and hit the bullseye, 
But when you go along and put a timer against it, and then you go along and put your time up against some other people's times, older, younger, uh, you know, female, male, whatever the categories are, you can kind of see where you, where you stand because just practicing, it doesn't give us, doesn't allow us to know where we stand. And it's not so much to say, Hey, you've got to do this in order to survive, but it gives us an idea. You know, if we've got to make a 50 yard shot, if we've never done that before, we won't know if we'll be able to make it or not. Just same thing as if we need to go along and draw and put and put a shot on target in under two seconds. If we don't know if we can do that in the middle of a gunfight, it's not the time to go, go along and figure out that we're too slow in a situation. You know, it's just bad all the way around for it and not what we should be training for. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, competition, not to draw it out here, but you know, a long time ago I wrote an article in my blog and it was a basically a force multiplier challenge. I was trying to get people to embrace training. You know, how did I get them to avidly practice? How do we get the average concealed carry holder or defensive handgun owner or gun owner to go and practice and train? And I, in the end, I came full circle instead of saying, Hey, you know, here's a, here's a free defensive handgun book. Here's all these motivational statements and hardcore things. I came to the conclusion that getting them into competitions was probably the single best skill enhancer that you could ask for. Because if people get into it and they catch the bug even though they may be competing in a not incredibly realistic environment, they got the bug. They want to practice more. They want to hang out. They want to go to more matches. They want to go to the range more. They're going to invest more time. I mean, I have people, I I have sold today twice as many of my competition products as I have my defensive training, my defensive handgun, but twice as many. And it's the oldest book out there that I wrote. It's the oldest one. It's It's great material, but it's older material. Um, which always blew my mind because people will spend money on that hobby. So as an instructor, learn, compete, just go test it for a while. See if you get the hook, it's going to make you better. And then you can speak to your students intelligently about whether or not they should do it. Yeah, and I do have to say, I don't go around and do like the USPSA matches on a regular basis, things like that. There's been a few fundraisers that I've attended and it's, and it's fun to go to them because you know, it's going to do a good cause. And at the same time, it's good to go along and be out in the community to meet people, to you know, let people know what you do. And those are all good things as far as a firearm instructor. That's only going to help your business. If nobody knows who you are or what you do, um, you've got a long road to hoe trying to advertise and sure. get people to understand. And in any kind of advertising, the best marketing, you want to have it focused on the people that would be most receptive to it. And that would be people that would be around in competitions or they might know somebody. Would you recommend somebody to go to a complete stranger or somebody that you've seen on the on the range or, or competitions? It's like, hey, I've, I shoot with Mike all the time. He's in your area. Why don't you look him up and take your concealed carrier advanced handgun class or, you know, rifle, whatever, whatever class the person's looking, looking for. And that's a great way to advertise. And by the way, it's probably zero cost for you to be able to go along and market that way too. Sure. I agree. So that's really great. So any last thoughts on for our instructors and how they can improve themselves? You know, I, I would just, uh, in addition to those things, just, you know, if you're an instructor and you want to improve, you've got to be humble. You have to have the ability um, maybe to surround yourself with people that are better than you. If you have the opportunity to co-teach with other instructors that are very charismatic and talented, um, if you have the if you have the ability to have other instructors potentially critique you, we used to do a hot wash critique, 
in the air marshals, when I used to run the team of instructors, we had a weekly hot wash. We'd go in a trailer and basically it was like an open core, open forum. Anybody could say anything as long as it was positive and productive. Uh, and that could be by telling another instructor, hey, you suck at this. You didn't teach this well. You don't know your material. And, you know, the bottom line is um, humble yourself. Be, be willing to um, be critiqued. And I nobody likes to be critiqued, too, including me. Man, if you want to be a better instructor, uh, open yourself to critique. Well, critique, you know, if you don't have an assistant instructor there, videotape it and send it to somebody else and say, hey, what, how do I look when I'm doing this 10-minute segment here talking about, you know, an action or talking about a specific grip, things like that. And you'd be surprised. You, know, you can get a lot of good information just from a simple cell phone video. Sure, I agree. And, and if anybody's out there and you want to send me videos i will uh, send you some critiques from my experience there's no problem at all with that we'll give you the email here in just a minute and my quick question for you what kind of books are you reading these days you said you got three bookcases full of it but which ones are new books that you're trying to get read in 2020 oh man i don't i don't know if i have a new book that i'm trying to get read here uh, i have so many i mean literally i am unfortunately someone that buys books and books and books and I get about halfway through them, and then I start the next book, and then I bounce back and forth from three or four books. I don't have a honest, I don't have a primary book sitting in front of me right now that is the new coolest thing. I would literally have to walk physically over to my bookshelf and start pulling stuff off. Any uh, specific topic you're looking for in 2020? Um, no, you know, I think the stuff that I've looked at recently um, is branding and marketing and how to you know, better connect to uh, individuals, how, how to get off of the mainstream approach of, okay, run a Facebook ad or run a radio ad or run a newspaper ad and how to truly connect with people and, and, and look at it from the perspective of the, the student perspective. And another thing I've done recently is I've really tried to take a, a look at how my students interact with me and how and what they buy and how they use the material. Because the material that I provide, you know, the online content of the books is designed from my perspective. I didn't in the past take a lot of time to, to reflect on, you know, that material. I like say, Hey, what are they seeing? What do they actually need? How do they actually use the material? Because they're using it different than I, I thought they would. So that's the stuff I'm probably reading the most of lately, but um, nothing, nothing's, without me going, literally going to my bookshelf and, and listen off about 80 different books. It's, well, that's, that's, that's interesting. You know, the topic that you're, you're looking into and one of those things is just kind of a good example for our listeners to think about. It doesn't have to be the latest and greatest shooting book. It can be a marketing book because connecting with our students is extremely valuable for us. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Mike, I really appreciate your time today. Um, wish we had more time, but maybe we'll have you back again in the in the future. But if people want to go along and get hold of uh, Mike Seeklander, um, what avenues does do, are there out there? Well, man, I, I would just tell everybody to go to my primary website because then they can also check out training classes if they happen to be in the market for a training class. So if you go to shooting-performance.com, you'll find my primary blog and my website. Um, there's a bunch of, I think, good articles. Some of them are older, some of them are newer. I write about once a week, give or take. Uh, and uh, I, I think some of them are, are uh, you know, like kind of chunks of information that are very specific to, you know, manage and recoil or the trigger and technical stuff. And then some of them are, motiv are motivational and some of them are completely outside the box to try to get people to think of, 
you know, themselves from a different perspective, uh, you know. So check out the blog. I think you'll enjoy the articles. Uh, and then, of course, there are links to some other stuff on there. There's some free information you can download and, uh, and find out more about me and my classes. Uh, if you get a chance, of course, all my books are on Amazon. Uh, the Defensive Handgun, The Art of Instruction, Defensive Rifle, the original book, The Competition Handgun Training Program. Just search my last name and you'll find uh, most of those books. All of the training programs are full programs. So the book comes, if you order the DVD, if you want videos, comes with uh, not just some theoretical drills to throw together here and there. It's a phase-by-phase -phase training program in Defensive Handgun, Defensive Rifle, and Competition Handgun Program. And if you're an instructor and if you don't have the art of instruction, check that book out. I, uh, it's kind of the golden nugget that I don't promote a lot, don't talk about a lot. But I think you'll really enjoy that if you're an instructor. Um, and if you don't love it, well, then send it back to me and tell me why you don't love it. And I'll try to improve upon it. Well, I'm keeping my book, Mike. I, I like that book. It's got a lot of uh, good nuggets in it. Thanks, man. I'm at, hey, don't, don't spread the word too far, but I'm actually working on something that complements that um, a, a big program that where I'm going to actually for the first time ever lead other people through the instructor development process. That'll be coming late this year sometimes. And it's a complement to my uh, firearms instructor development course. So keep an eye out for that. Very, very nice. And you also have the American Warrior Society, your, your podcast that you do. I do. Yeah. I have the American Warrior Show, which is my podcast. Mm -hmm. If you haven't checked it out, it's, um, and we do everything. We do uh, some shooting, some fitness guys. We do some uh, some combatives guys, some high-level jiu-jitsu fighters. We have a bunch of really distinguished warriors on there with some great uh, experiences and lessons learned from their time in law enforcement or the military. So if you go to AmericanWarriorShow.com, you can listen to the podcast. And then, of course, that's the podcast of uh, my, my self-defense training company, which is the American Warrior Society. And you can go to AmericanWarriorSociety.com to check that out. That's uh, kind of an online encyclopedia of self-defense is probably the best way to summarize that place. Great source of information. Great source. So, well, that's a wrap for this episode. We have a few requests for our loyal listeners. Like and rate our podcast and leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Share this episode on Facebook and encourage others to listen and subscribe to it. If they're not listening, they're not taking advantage of the great information we just heard from Mike Seatlander on this episode. If you have any ideas, questions, or feedback, please email us at ftp at concealedcarry.com. Remember, visit our sponsors, especially the Fire Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage. And remember to use promo code FTP10 for 10% off. Remember, we bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Look for ways to improve yourself and stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.